listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share um, this podcast. And God said, let us make man in our image the content after our likeness from City on a Hill. and let them have like dominion over the fish of the sea and over the like birds of the heavens and over the, and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, Now in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, everyone. Hey, if we haven't had the chance yet to meet, my name is Neil. I get the privilege of being uh, one of the pastors here at Sidonia Hill. And you may know of that classic movie, uh, Chariots of Fire. If you don't know the movie, maybe uh, you know the theme song for it. You know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but it chronicles the rise of two Scottish sprinters at the 1924 Olympics. One, uh, his name was Eric Little, uh, and he was a committed Christian, and he saw running as a way of glorifying God. Now, in the movie, he says, I run to glorify God, and when I run, uh, I feel his pleasure. Uh, and when the heats for the 100 meters uh, is scheduled for a Sunday, then out of his conviction of keeping a Sabbath, that he chooses not to run and joyfully gives up his dream of winning gold in order to be faithful to God. Uh, the other sprinter in the story, his name is Harold Abrahams. And for him, running wasn't about pleasing God, but it was about proving that he mattered. Running gave him, he said, Uh, There were 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. And in these two people, we we see this uh, kind of dichotomy, these these two opposite ways that we approach both work and rest. Uh, And so as we we look to kind of build our rule of life, and we're we're looking at these two topics of of work and rest, we're going to look in Scripture and see that there's there's three progressions that we see going on. And so the first of these movements that we see in Scripture is a, is a movement from a garden to a city, from garden to city. Uh, so as we just saw, the, the book of Genesis, it tells us that, that God plants a garden and he places man in the garden. Genesis 2, uh, 15 says this, that the Lord took the man that he'd made Uh, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so from the beginning, we see that we were were made to work, that we were given a job to do, and we're given work to do as part of God's good design. And maybe you picked up in our Bible reading back in Genesis 1 that, that, that our work is actually linked to being made in the image of God. That is, that as God works, we work. And, and the scope of the work here is, is not simply limited to like our, of our vocation or our paid work, but it's about uh, being fruitful, 
and multiplying and about filling the earth. So it's really any, any work that actually contributes towards greater human flourishing, that, that, that contributes towards the building up of human society. And so as we talk about our work this morning, you know, this will include paid work, uh, but it really also extends to kind of anything that, that contributes towards this, this cultivation of human flourishing. And so whether that's uh, your paid work or whether that's uh, managing your household for the, for the flourishing of your family. Or you might be a, a stay-at-home mom. It you know, includes things like uh, mowing the lawn or you know, even feeding the cat to the dog. Well, you know, whatever that might be, it might be the additional ways that you uh, invest into your community. You know, you might coach your kids' basketball team, or you're on the, the parents' committee at school. But, but part of God's good design for us is to work. And even from the beginning, it actually doesn't mean necessarily that work was easy. But God created the garden to be, to be cultivated, but there's actually still the entire rest of the earth that was kind of wild that needed to be uh, subdued and filled. You know, and that would, that would have taken effort, right? It would have been uh, incredibly fruitful and satisfying work, but they still had hard work to do. And that's why we see, you know, from the beginning that rest is also built in because they still need to rest from their work. But that's at the beginning, and if we fast forward from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, when when Jesus returns and all things are made new, what do we see there? Is it it a garden? No, no, there's there's not a recreation of Eden that we see, but we see a city. Revelation 21, 2 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we see in God's plan that the, the garden well, was never meant to just remain a garden, but actually when all things are made new, it's not the reinstatement of a garden, but it was always intended to be, to be made into a city. And then if you're part of God's people, that is we spend eternally in this city, in the presence of God, the work isn't completely done away with. We're not just sitting around eating grapes, although I'm sure that's probably part of it. But there'll actually still be work for us to do. We'll still be serving God. But as we continue to do that, it'll be uh, fully satisfying in his presence. Uh, so maybe you, you think that the work that you do, well, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Maybe, you know, you're, you're just a plumber or, or just a postie or, you know, just an IT guy. Or, or maybe just a, a stay-at-home mum. But actually, in God's economy, all of these things are needed and are critical for human flourishing. And so we need to do those things with, with excellence and integrity to, to actually serve God's purposes. See, there's actually a, a divine intention behind all of our work. God has has wired us and designed us to to work hard as part of his story of redemption, moving us from the garden to the city of God. That's why it says in Scripture, in in Colossians 3.23, it says that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That is, work hard with all of your heart because God's intention is that for in everything that you do, even in your day-to-day, that that is to, to actually serve his purposes. 
Uh, but Genesis 3 comes along, and, and that tells us that when you know, those first people that God put in that garden, when Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God and they broke this relationship with their creator, the, the consequences of that you know, it kind of went beyond just a little bit of kind of relational tension, but actually impacted all of creation. That includes work. Uh, and so in Genesis 3, where, where we see God is kind of dealing out the consequences of their rebellion, verse 17, it says, uh, And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife you have, and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, now, husbands, uh, this is not a biblical precedence to not listen to the voice of your wife. Okay, That might go bad for you. Uh, but because of this sin and rebellion that we see, not, not only is work hard, but it becomes painful. It becomes labor and toil. That, that we see that there's this futility to our work that gets introduced, that the ground is cursed. It's not going to be as fruitful as it was meant to be. There's, there's thorns and there's thistles and there's pain. There's, pain. there's this unrelenting futility. Uh, we've been doing a bunch of work uh, at our place lately, and, uh, and so part of that is we received a letter from our council saying that we needed to kind of reinstate our nature strip because it had all been kind of dug up and muddy and it was a bit of a mess. And, uh, and you know, that's fine because we, we expected that. Uh, and so I, you know, got out the shovel and I, and, I, and I went to work kind of making it all nice and smooth, and, and then I went down and grabbed a trailer load of, of topsoil. Uh, and brought that back and, and spent some time kind of raking that out, kind of getting it ready. Then I went to the Bunnings, uh, grabbed a bunch of seed uh, and, and started, you know, spreading that out and raked that in. And then I uh, watered all that. And then because I don't want the, you know, the crows to come and eat all my seed, uh, so I put some uh, stakes around and some, uh, some danger tape as well to kind of keep them off it and so that people wouldn't, you know, walk on it and, and park on it and all those kind of things. Uh, and so then I'm looking forward to being able to, uh, look out of my front window over the next few weeks and just, you know, watch and enjoy this nice green, lush grass grow, right? It's what gets exciting when you get to 40, right? Grass is exciting, right? Yeah, Michael's not, he knows, right? But this was kind of only part of half of my nature strip because actually on the other half of the nature strip, uh, there was a bunch of other work going on. There's a building going in, a big building going across the road from us. Uh, and so that bit was actually in the process of being uh, dug up because the, the plumbers were hooking in kind of new mains water into where the, the mains water runs under our nature strip. Uh, and, and they kind of had just finished doing this uh, the week after I'd you know, finished making my nice, uh, ready to go. Uh, and then the following Saturday, a few days after the, they finished, we'd, we'd been out for the morning uh, at a working bee, and as we came back, we pulled into our street, we realised there was a problem. Uh, and that as we uh, got towards our house, the entire street was completely flooded uh, because plumbers plumbing, the water mains had burst. And so the water had come up and had actually come up all the way to the, the footpath and had washed away half of my soil and all my seed. Right? There, there's, a, there's a futility right, to our work. 
You do a day's work, or you do a week's work, or a month's work, or maybe even a year's work. Maybe you've experienced this, but, but something happens, and you, you find out then that, that all of that was for nothing, and it all needs to be redone. You know, you, you, you change your nappy, and before that baby's off the change table, it's full of poop again, right? The, the, the crows eat your tomatoes before they can be picked. See, with, with sin, the ground is being cursed, so often work is, is not simply hard, but it becomes painful and, and futile. It's like it conspires against us, right? It's not as, it's not as fruitful as it should be. That's why it says in Romans that the creation itself, it groans. It's longing for Jesus to return and all things to be made new because creation itself knows that something is wrong. And then because of this, there's often two ways that we tend to get work wrong. There are two unhelpful ways that we tend to look at work, and we all tend to probably towards one of these. Now, the, the first unhelpful way that we look at work, we could uh, call it the, the thank God it's Friday view. Right? This is a, where we see work as, as purely existing just so that we can get to the weekend, right? working for the weekend. Maybe at best work is, you know, we think it's kind of just a, a necessary evil that we should aim to do like as little as of possible. Maybe we are determined to work hard, but that's really just to set us up for maybe an early retirement that can kind of fuel our life of, of leisure and recreation. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, we're just simply lazy and just don't want to work and we try to avoid it as much as possible. But, but here, there's a kind of idea that, that we don't see work as something that's good as part of God's design, but perhaps we think it's actually simply a, a result of the fall. And that we tend to, uh, you know, despise our work. Or perhaps we have just a kind of a general kind of apathy towards it. And so whether that's your paid work or it's uh, your other responsibilities, being at home with the kids, the, the responsibilities that we have, perhaps we just kind of, we kind of just dream of, of freedom and release from our work. And, and we don't really see any greater purpose in it other than maybe you know, it pays the bills or it fuels the lifestyle that we want. And so if that's the, thank God it's Friday view, the, the opposite is the, thank God it's Monday view, right? Where, where we work uh, for, where we live for our work. You know, it's when we, you know, derive all of our meaning and, and all of our joy and all of our value and purpose is based in what we do. That our, that our work becomes the way that we, that we prove that we're something, that who we are is determined by our, our position of influence or our, or our productivity or our output. And so whether you kind of tend to see work as just purely a, a means to an end or it defines who you are, the, the underlying problem is actually the same. That, that we all tend to make work about personal flourishing and glorifying self rather than human flourishing and glorifying God. And this is why not only is our relationship with work disordered, but also our relationship with rest. And so as we see in Scripture, we've got this movement from garden to city. In Scripture, we also see this movement from, from rest to religion, from rest to religion. Because not only did God design us to work, but he also designed us to rest. 
And so important is this need for us to rest that God actually makes it kind of one of the top ten commands, that you are to have a Sabbath day. The word Sabbath just literally means stop. We are to commanded to stop. Let's read what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12. It says this, that we are to observe the Sabbath day, to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well. So a few things I want to draw from this. And the first thing we see is that to Sabbath, to stop, is an act of trust. In God. See, in an agrarian society that, that just relies on, on constant uh, cultivation and production of food, it, it wasn't easy it's to take a day off for everything to just come to a complete stop. And it wasn't like that just, well, you could stop, but you could just get everyone else to work for you and keep the animals going and keep the servants going and, and even keep the foreigners going. No, no, everything was to stop. All work, all animals and all people. And so to Sabbath was actually an intense act of trust and dependence on God. It's an intense reminder that that you are not God, that that it is God who is the one who provides, that God is the one who is in control, and so it's an intentional act of trusting the Lord. The second thing we see is that, that Sabbath is actually an act of freedom. Let's keep reading verse 15 goes on, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep a Sabbath day. So, so why is it that God would say, Hey, you were slaves, but now you're not, so keep a Sabbath? Well, it's because slaves don't get a day off, Right? Slaves don't get to decide when they're going to work. You don't get to rest. You work all day, every day. And so here God is commanding them. He's saying to them, don't be a slave. I have saved you from that. And this Sabbath is actually an incredible gift of God saying that, hey, you're not a slave, so don't live like that because I'm the one who has set you free and I'm the one who has provided and will give everything you need. Trust me. And so important was this command to Sabbath that it was actually to, to rest, that to, to break it was actually punishable by death. That's how important it was. But what we see over time is that the God's people took this incredible gift of rest and turned it into religion. Then they just kind of added just an incredible amount of extra rules about what could and couldn't be done. And it turned Sabbath not into a day of rest, but actually into a day of burden. Uh, before uh, I was in ministry and worked for the church, I was an electrician. Uh, and I spent a few years uh, building and maintaining lifts and elevators, um, which is good. It has ups and downs. It's a good one. Uh, but one of the programmed settings that you could have on a lift was, was a Sabbath function, 
which means that if this was getting put into a Jewish apartment or Jewish building, that you could set it so that from uh, Friday night to Saturday night, which is the 24 hours of the Jewish Sabbath, uh, it would go into Sabbath mode. And at that point, the, the lift would start running nonstop, stopping on every single floor uh, and opening and closing the doors on every floor as it went. So if it's a big building, all right, it's kind of, that's a slow trip, right? But the reason for that was so that you could still use the lift but not push any of the buttons because that was work. Uh, our lead pastor, Andrew Grills, down at Sit on a Hill, Geelong, he tells of a, a time when he actually got to spend uh, some time with a, with a Jewish family in Israel. And on the Sabbath, he said, well, they, they would be, uh, as they went along, they'd be walking and counting their steps because uh, a thousand steps was rest, but a thousand and one was work. Uh, the kids were, they were allowed to have fun, enjoy themselves. They played soccer, but they had to play on the asphalt because if they played soccer on the grass, then crushing the grass under their feet was work. This is how uh, intense it, it, ha- it becomes because, because here's what happens. See, when we, when we miss God's purposes for you in both work and rest, you, you turn them into an avenue for, for establishing your own righteousness, your own rightness before others. And so these things become the way that we try to prove ourselves. You try to prove that you're, that you're worthy, whether that's, you know, that's simply for yourself and for your own sense of self-worth and identity, or you're trying to prove how good you are, how right you are before other people, or to establish your own righteousness before God. Uh, there was an interesting article a number of years ago in the New York Times uh, by a lady named uh, Julie Shulovitz. Uh, who, who rediscovered this, this value of taking an intentional Sabbath and, and how it actually points to something deeper. Uh, here's what she writes. She says, Most people uh, mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was actually much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily the way you might slip into bed at the end of a long day. This is why the the Puritan and the Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional, requiring extensive advanced preparation. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. And what she's saying here is that that we're actually hopelessly naive if we think that that all we need to do to to get rested is just to to knock off work, to to, to have a day off, to to even use all of our annual leave or or try and make sure that we've got that kind of good work-life balance. There's actually a, a far deeper rest that we need more than just not working. She goes on to say this. On that weekly holiday, not only did drudgery give way to festivity, family gatherings and occasional worship, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. What does she mean when she talks about this shutting down of the the machinery of self-censorship or the, the stilling the eternal, eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. That eternal inner murmur, 
says that you have 10 lonely seconds to justify your whole existence. Maybe for you, you're not a sprinter. Maybe it's not 10 lonely seconds, but maybe it's 70 lonely hours a week you feel like you have to justify your whole existence. See, what this New York Times article recognises is that is that we need more than just sleep and rest and breaks from physical exertion, that there's actually a, a far deeper work that we're constantly doing. Right? Tim Keller calls this, it's the, the work underneath the work. The, the, the work underneath uh, everything we do, that there's actually a deeper work. It's the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. It's that unceasing inner voice that constantly tells us that we're not good enough and we need to be doing more. That we, that we need to, uh, that we, this need that we have deep inside to, to prove ourselves to others, to, to make something of ourselves, to, 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 to prove that we have value and self-worth and find our meaning and joy. And, and this drives so much of what we do, whether that's overwork or underwork. You see, our inability to, to rest and our, our constant distraction, our need for escape and entertainment all comes from this, that there's a, there's a work underneath the work, and this work is what makes all other work so incredibly weary. That, that it's not just that our, that our bodies are tired, but, but our souls are tired. This is, why, this is why so many people burn out, even in ministry. And the, the reality is, is that we can actually have, you know, incredibly good work-life balance. We can, we can take all of our holidays. We can, we can take extended annual leave. But until we still, that eternal inner murmur will never know true rest. And that doesn't simply stop because you've knocked off work. This is why Jesus' words are so incredibly important for us. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, as we heard, says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound incredible? Like, like what, if you, what if you actually had that? What if you could still that eternal inner murmur? Wouldn't that just transform both, both how you work and how you rest? Because the, the, the next movement that we see in Scripture is a movement from Sabbath that moves from, uh, from shadow to substance. From shadow to substance. It says in Colossians uh, 2.16, Paul writes this, it says, Therefore, let, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It is, he's saying, it doesn't matter whether or not you, you celebrate these festivals or you, you keep a Sabbath day or not. And why is that? Because verse 17, he says, These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, the, the, the Sabbath was, was always meant to point us towards the deeper rest that we really need. Because the only way that you can truly rest from the work beneath the work, the only, the only way that you can still that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach is in Jesus. 
That's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, a great passage on rest and what that means. Uh, verse 9, it says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest. That is, there's always another Sabbath rest to come for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest had also, has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, to have this rest, is, it's not simply about knocking off from the nine to five. But actually, this is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. That, that you're no longer working to, to prove yourself. That you're no longer working to, to make something of yourself. No longer working to, to make yourself right before God or right before others because, because Jesus has come to set you free from that. And in Jesus, you can be set free from that. Have you entered that rest? Or, or are you weary and worn out? Because you're unable to still that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach that tells you you're not good enough and you've got to keep pushing. What does it mean then for, for how we live? For, for how we work and how we rest? How, how do we then build this into our rule of life? Well, first thing we want to do is, is kind of just briefly explore, I guess, two kind of inner disciplines that, that we need first. Because if we, if we don't have these, then the, the practical external things, they're not, they're not going to work, right? Because what we need is this, this deep inner rest before we can really rest on the outside. And since the, the Sabbath is the, the shadow that points to the real rest in Jesus, it's actually those two things that we talked about earlier from Sabbath that we need to know. First, that, that rest is an act of trust. That, that, that when you rest, truly rest, you, you, you begin to see and you realise that, that you're not the one who's ultimately in control. That, that you're not God. And so if you, if you can't rest... If you can't stop, if, if you're always pushing, then, then maybe you're trying to be God rather than trusting him. And you need to be able to say, just, just deep in your soul, that, that I'm not God, that he is. That I'm not in control, that he is. He's God, he's in control. He will provide, I can trust him. That's the first thing. And the second is that, that rest is an act of freedom. Right? As we said, slaves don't get a day off. And so if you can't rest, if you can't stop, if you can't disconnect from, from work, if you, if you can't slow down, if, you're, if your mind is always occupied and always pushing, then, then you're a slave, right? You're, you're a slave to your idols. You're a, you're a slave to your own insecurities or, or, or to your felt needs. You're, you're a slave to your company or to, to other person's expectations. You're, you're a slave to that eternal inner murmur of self-reproach that constantly tells you you're not good enough. And, and so what you need to know deep down in your soul is that, that Jesus came to set you free from that slavery. You need to be able to say, in whatever you do, that I'm not defined by this. I don't, I don't need this to define me. 
I don't need this for my worth and my value and my meaning and my purpose. And I can rest from my work because I'm not a slave. And for your physical rest, whatever time off you take to be actually truly effective, that you need both those things. You need to be able to trust in God and be freed from being a slave. And so once we've got those things, how do then this like what can we then build out into our rule of life? Practical things that are going to help us in this way. Now, there's a lot of uh, debate about whether Christians are still actually required to, to keep a Sabbath. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to, to dive into that because that's a, probably a few sermons worth of explanation. Uh, but the short answer is no. Uh, the, the New Testament tells us that because Christ fulfills the, the, the Sabbath, that the Sabbath actually was just a shadow, right? That the, the, the Christ is the substance. And, and so we don't need to, to keep like a 24-hour time of period where we, where we don't do any work. Uh, but, but if you want to do that, Scripture actually tells us, yeah, that, that's fine, that's good. We can, we can still do that. But, it's, but we can still pull a whole bunch of principles from what Scripture says about work and Sabbath, because it's also part of how he has designed us to live. Uh, so what can we draw from the Sabbath and about how we rest? Uh, three quick things. The first one is, this is stop. Uh, as we noted, this, this word Sabbath means stop. But, but some of us never actually stop, Right? You, you, you may not necessarily kind of work uh, vocationally for, for, for seven days a week, but you also don't ever stop. You never, uh, never even disconnect. You know, because you know, dis- distraction isn't rest, right? Like scrolling social media it isn't actually rest. It, it might, you know, at best kind of ignore that eternal inner murmur, but, but you don't rest. And, and so we all actually need to take uh, a weekly break. Uh, and, and God has wired us for, for, for kind of one day in seven. And, you know, that doesn't need to be a, a set 24-hour period, but there's, you know, is there a morning? Is there an afternoon? Is there time at night? How do you build into your life and into a routine that, that rhythm of actually stopping? Uh, and for some of us, that will actually take advanced preparation. Like they, for, for Israel, they had to prepare in order to take a Sabbath. Now, I realize that there, there can be seasons where actually, you know, physically stopping like we, we often need to, that, that that isn't really possible. Like, you know, maybe you've got a, a young child and, like, it's just not possible to, to stop in this way. Or, or there might be times of, of work or family or sickness or whatever it is where, where, where it's not completely possible. But, you know, the, the good news is, is that we are set free from having to have that, you know, uh, legalistic one day a week where we don't do anything. But those seasons should really only be for, for a limited time, you know, not, not the norm of how we operate. Because we were designed and God made us to rest, to stop. And so where is it that, that you need to build stops into your life? Well, you actually need to intentionally turn off and disconnect. Uh, uh, Ro- Rosalie, who's, who, who's one of our uh, associate ministers, uh, she, she talks about how she has a, uh, her Friday morning is no technology. I mean, she thought at first she was going to hate it, right? Because it's like, mm. but actually now it's the time she looks forward to the most because it actually is what feeds her soul, and it's an intentional disconnection. It's an intentional stop. 
So the first one is to stop. Second one might be a little bit counterintuitive, but it's actually to be less productive than you could be. See, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they weren't to harvest their crops all the way to the edges. And the reason for that was so that, so that uh, the poor could, could glean from the edges. But now, if you kind of think about it, surely wouldn't it have been, you know, more productive to actually uh, to, to, to make, be as productive as you possibly could be, right, and then just give more money away, right? Like, wouldn't that be, that would be less waste, right? But see, see, not harvesting all the way to the edges means that there was likely going to be waste. But it, but it meant that you weren't to squeeze everything out of your work as possible. So you actually had to intentionally limit your productivity and then trust God with what happens to the edges of your field. So this doesn't mean you know, it, it's okay to be lazy or to cut corners in your work. Right? Uh, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard or, or you know, complete the things that we are responsible for in our jobs or that we shouldn't even go over and above. But perhaps there's edges of your field, right? like, what, like whatever that might be, that, that causes you a whole bunch of anxiety and worry if they don't get done. You know, that, that you just can't leave those things undone. You know, like you always need to check that email, always need to follow up on that thing. And, and to leave those edges unharvested for you would actually be an intentional act of trust in the Lord. So maybe be less productive than you possibly could be. Last one is soul care over self-care. In many ways, the, the, the fairly kind of recent you know, cultural buzzwords around uh, self-care and, mindf- and mindfulness, they're, they're really just kind of tapping into what the Bible already tells us uh, about Sabbath. But, but the moment that we put you know, the word self in front of anything else, things can very quickly become selfish. So whether that's uh, self-care or, or self-worth or self-love or, or self-esteem, because all of those things put self at the centre. Uh, biblically, there's really only one word that should come after the word self, and that's denial. But, Bibli- but, but the Sabbath here, it tells us that it was to be kept holy, which means the Sabbath was to be kept set apart for the Lord. And that means that, that whatever we do in our rest and rejuvenation uh, is to be God-focused and God-centered, not self-centered. And now that, that may or may not change what you actually do in your times of rest, but it definitely changes why you do it. Because it, it shifts from, from prioritizing uh, yourself and your, your own needs over others to actually prioritizing God's place in your life over everything else. Which means that, that whatever we do in our rest should have a, a worshipfulness to it a thankfulness to it. It should be soul-feeding and God-centered. Because the way that we still that eternal inner murmur is actually not to try to convince yourself that, that you're good enough or that you've done enough. That that's actually the very source of the problem. The way we do it is to, to know that, that Jesus has not just been good enough for you, but has been perfect. And that everything you need can be found in him.
And that's where it is that we, we find the true rest that we so desperately need. And it's in this way that whether we work or we rest, that we can do all of that for God's glory. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we, we thank you for just this incredible gift, both work and rest. That's how you've made us. That's how you've wired us, Lord, but we recognize that just so often how we get both of those things wrong. And our hearts just so often distort these good gifts, Lord. And we miss your goodness and your blessings in work, and we, we miss your goodness and your blessings in rest, and we pursue both of those things for our selfish gain. And so often there's just this eternal inner murmur that just so unceasingly tells us we have to prove ourselves, we have to make ourselves, we have to justify our existence. Lord, and that just makes us so tired. Lord, we want so desperately need to enter your rest. To, to be freed of that need to always prove ourselves, to find that true rest for our souls. Well, for those here today, Lord, I pray that, that they'd know that afresh right now, that there's nothing they can do because it's all been done in Jesus, that, that Jesus, that your yoke is easy and your burden in life is light, and in you only can we find rest for our souls. Lord, may we trust you, May we not enslave ourselves, but live free in you. We thank you. We love you. It's in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray. God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.